Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast for shining a light on bright ideas. Today, cookie dough. I cannot even wait. It's a little different kind of cookie dough, but I mean, like, I'm really hungry for it. And wait till you hear the flavors. I mean, it's just unbelievable and amazing. And I can't even wait to introduce you to my guest today on the podcast, Jimmy Feeman. He's the co-founder at No Baked Cookie Dough. And he's out of Nashville, which I, I even, I'm even i more excited about that even um, with my music background. But Jimmy, it's so great to have you on the podcast, man. Thanks for having me on, Justin. It's really so excited great. to be here. Yeah, I was so excited to um, to meet you, to check out your product. Um, like I said, I love that you guys live in Nashville. I saw Megan has a music background, and I, you know, anyway, just a common thread. Um, and, and the consumer product space is booming. The cookie dough space. I mean, most people like cookie dough, and I'm sure that's why you decided to get jump into the space. We're going to unpack that shortly. Let's start with this, man. Your background I saw was in finance, but start before starting the company back in 2017. Like, share with our audience a little bit. About about you and, and and kind of your your background before starting the company. Yeah, for sure. So it's actually a really interesting story, but I think a really common one. So I went down to Nashville actually to to do music, which I think a lot of people do. Right. That's what draws people. <laughs> Headed to, music to Nashville. City. I'm going to be a star or an artist or <laughs> yeah. a player. Yep. So my parents were like, "You have to go to school." Um, I was like, "I want to be a songwriter," and we settled on I would do music business as a major at a uh, university. So at Belmont, I right? Went down to Nashville, Belmont. Belmont. Yeah, yep, perfect. Um, it's a great school. Yeah, uh, that's actually where me and Megan met, and we both were in the music business program. Uh, I slowly changed throughout college. Like I think a lot of people do change my mind a lot about a lot of things. But the one thing that I can never figure out was what the heck am I going to do? <laughs> and eventually I ended I up thought graduating you were do music, finance man. major. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that's what I thought too. And then it consistently changed. Oh, that's funny. Um, so I ended up graduating with a major in finance. I uh, found a job at a financial services firm in Nashville. Um, that I actually liked. And I did an internship that I really liked. I, I met a lot of really great entrepreneurs through doing that, Very which I cool. think is what I liked the most about it without knowing it at the time. Sure. And I job hopped a lot after school. I actually had three jobs in a year and a half yeah. after graduating. But that's which, maybe you didn't know, or, you know, it's, I, sometimes I it's hard know. to find yourself. You know what I mean? Like a hundred percent. So really, really what it all ended up being was just me I was craving being an entrepreneur without knowing it. Um, wow. And when Megan actually founded the company in 2017, it was same deal for her. She had job hopped a bunch, could not figure out why she did not like working in the music industry. Other than the fact that, you know, she kept getting stuck behind a desk. That's right. not what she wanted to do. And she eventually just quit. <laughs> and, <laughs> nice. and she quit. She quit after designing the website, got a few orders, decided, I'd rather do this than sit behind a desk and have other people tell me where my life is going. It's it's um, interesting. I saw, you know, in her background, she had worked over um, with a couple labels doing licensing and whatnot. And I think, you know, and for those that haven't been in the music industry, I don't know, do you mind taking just a moment and sharing what that kind of, what that was like? What did you think going into college, moving to Nashville? And then what did you find that said, you know what, I don't think this is for me or us. What Like, what did that look like? Yeah. So 
actually, so the way it happened for me, and this happens for a lot of people that enter that program at Belmont, I realized real quick, like this is the same as all other industries, except you get paid a lot less. And <laughs> none but of most the people shine. don't know that, right? <laughs> yeah, right. No, that's 100% true. That's so so like you could go be the, in, the staff accountant at a major record label and you will get paid half of what they pay accountants at any other company anywhere any place and i i know it's because they they get the cool allure of like you're working with the stars but you're not really and for me i was like i really don't like the fact that they're turning music into a product and i kind of like music and i don't want to sure. spend my life pandering this this turning this thing that i like that's creative into into a product which is funny because that's what i do now right uh but at the time it's different yeah it's different uh at the time i was like i just don't like this i was a musician myself i didn't I just didn't like the whole business aspect of it. Megan stuck with it, worked at a major label, um, and eventually just came to the point where she was like, I don't like other people telling me where my career is going. Right. For her to get to the place she wanted to be, it was like, well, you have to have 10 years of experience. Right. For no understandable reason other than... Other than that's just the way it's always been. That's the industry. Yeah. Yeah. That's really Um, ridiculous. And that was frustrating for her. So we both got frustrated with things that were sort of similar um, and sort of drove us into entrepreneurship. Like, sure. Couldn't find the right job. Couldn't find the right industry. Didn't like other people telling us like where our careers were going. It's why I job hopped all the time. I was like, I want to make more money. It's not possible here. Got to hop to another job. When really, well, all I needed to do is like just, just go do your own thing. Go do your, go own, do your thing. own thing and see what happens. It's not going to be like you know what I found glamorous. Like, yeah, but you know what I found like it, I think a lot of creatives get restless with or and especially in environments that provide too much structure or too many boundaries. Do you know what I'm saying? Like where you can't let oh, your creativity 100%. come to life. That is a hundred percent. And I I commend people on something that we try to do at No Bakes is like build a, a company build a startup that uh, provides that to people who are creative because those are the people you need in the beginning. Totally. You need them bad. You okay. need people who are, are willing to do anything. I love it. Okay. And and so that's a great transition. So talk about um, No Baked. Like how did you guys decide cookie dough? You know, what, how did things initially start for, for the company and whatnot? Yeah. So Megan had actually been making the recipe uh, for a long time, probably since she was a senior in high school and like some form or another. Um, like you can scroll back on my Instagram, like there's pictures from like, I think my 21st birthday of her making <laughs> like making edible cookie dough, dough for my party. Yum. And, um, it was just something she liked doing and she hated her job and she would come home every day and ask herself, she went through so many different things. It was like, should I start a dog sitting business? Right. She, she really like, she really I must dogs. find something that I can own. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, she was like, well, I could sell my cookie dough. Um, you know, was trying to find something that she could sell online because sure. at the time we were both obsessed with this idea that like we would start uh, online businesses and then we would travel the country and <laughs> not have to go into an office every day and be able to like live wherever we wanted. It was really it was interesting because we actually did that this last summer. Um, but oh, at the time nice. that was our nice. goal, <laughs> <laughs> and it took her a long time to get there. But at the time she was like, "I could do this. It's a product. I can make it anywhere, and I can ship it to people." and you know, I can replace my salary. And that's all I want to do. Right. Megan wanted freedom. She wanted freedom in so many different ways. And I was like, I'm on board with that. And at the time, I didn't plan on quitting my job or anything. I was like, yeah, sure. We'll sure, do this. I'll support you. Yeah. And Very then um, of you. I got roped into coming to the kitchen all the time. And then eventually, I was the only one going to the kitchen. Because <laughs> I, I actually really liked making cookie dough. I don't know why. To this day, I... 
one of the saddest moments for me was when we outsourced production, which had to happen. Right. Um, and that uh, happened recently, but I love actually making the product. All right. So, so I will go into our scoop shops now and I will make it. I love it. <laughs> like okay. randomly. I, I got to Okay. So you decide cookie dough because she had initially been making it and had a cool recipe for it. And, and that's great. And, and everyone loves cookie dough or a lot of people do. Right. I mean, a majority of people I know would absolutely say they love it. Um, so how do you go from recipe at, in kitchen for, you know, for a family of however many, um, to production ready? Like what what, what did the first product look like? How did you guys figure out packaging all of that? Yeah, so the first product looked really janky. Um, <laughs> janky, <laughs> which I I think like, everybody. That's the case for a lot of my guests, that. by the way. I, I mean, that, <laughs> they, they haven't they didn't use the word janky, but you know, it was like, hey, we were putting it in plastic bags, or you know, so we were using, you know, what I mean, like all kinds of stories, really. Oh yeah, no, and and that's actually <laughs> I think after uh, after you start reading about entrepreneurship, or if you like get into like that whole like book series where you could read like the leads, the lean startup, or like any of those yeah, things. Yeah, of course which I did after the fact, I started to realize what we did organically was kind of what they tell you to do. Just get the product out there. Um, and it was a lot easier to do that when I was 23. Um, and I had no inhibitions about like trying to make it perfect. Right. And Megan was the same way. So like we packaged it in these paper cups with like plastic paper lids on cups, them. I love it. Okay. We took it in a uh, cooler to farmer's markets okay. and sold it to people unlabeled. I was just cookie dough with our like logo <laughs> sticker on it cookie dough um and <laughs> we had three different flavors megan yeah. had chocolate chip brownie batter and confetti sugar they were a little different than they are today okay um we actually have different recipes slightly different recipes for our scoop shops and for our package product um it's for like uh not necessarily for like anything other than consistency so like the product in the stores is a little fluffier if you will than the product we sell in a jar sure but um like at the time it was like basically the exact recipe she was doing. And we had this crazy mess up in the very beginning where we didn't know how to make a commercial batch of cookie dough. And we, we scaled up like the the cups (laughs) that we were using of each ingredient. So we like scaled up the volume instead of the grams, which is what you're supposed to do. And we made this like, Frankenstein batch of cookie dough that we ended up not selling. We ended up trying to sell it and then we were like, this isn't going to work. Um, cause it just didn't taste the same. And then we found out later from a commercial baker friend, they were like, you're supposed to weigh the product and then put it all in the mixer and make a giant batch. And we were like, well, that's interesting. No one ever told us that. Right. Of <laughs> course. You know. How would you know? <laughs> but did, okay. So did you have to reach out to a network? Did you have to find people that knew how to do this stuff? Did you have to, you know what I mean? Like, because yeah. you guys didn't know how to make a production ready product, right? You were just putting it in cups and putting a, a label on it. Like what yeah. did that look like? How did you make that so, transition? The way that that started was we knew we had to get a commercial kitchen. Okay. Um, there's a really cool commission or uh, commissary kitchen in Nashville called citizens kitchen. Okay. Very cool. Citizens kitchen is amazing. They have over a hundred startups, small businesses that were operate out of the kitchen. Oh, they actually cool. have three kitchens now. Okay. Um, they're like sort of VC backed and an incredible company. So they became our, uh, just de facto advisors on everything. Okay. And the community of food entrepreneurs there also became our de facto friends and advisors. Um, so we learned everything that we learned just from networking with other food founders, which I think to this day is the best way to not only like figure out like, how am I going to like be creative about marketing or like getting my product in the stores, but 
how are you just going to like do production? Right. Because the thing that I learned from a lot of, especially new startups, I, and this week alone, I've had two other founders like text me and say like, I'm having problems finding a manufacturer. Right. Because when you go to make an interesting new product, you just don't fit into a square box. A box, exactly. I mean, and it's not like there's a template for it. Yeah, there is no template for it. And I've met people who have come up with the coolest food ideas. But all of those ideas typically come out of those commercial kitchens. And if you can find one in your area, um, like we found Citizen's Kitchen in Nashville, and they're in every city because food trucks typically have to work out of them. So the business model is technically like food truck is based there that's their like home base kitchen and then they work out of the truck. Got so it. a lot of like people don't know that like CPG startups typically also come out of those kitchens. Totally. Uh, like that's where you have to start. You start in this tiny little kitchen, making the product like a chef right. and then eventually it scales up into like, it's like manufacturing operation. Wow. But in the beginning, it's something where like you're making this product every day. There was a baker who worked in there too with us. Um, they'd come in every morning at like 3am and start baking and then they take their stuff to a farmer's market and sell it. And now that those people actually have a bakery in Nashville and they have like this whole cool distribution chain of like stores and stuff that they distribute to. But like they started the same time as us in 2017, you know, just doing their thing, doing their thing. Yeah. Trying to make a new product. Yeah. And that was one of the greatest times. Um, just being able to say like, how do we get it out there? How do we start doing like pop-up shops, events, um, things before the first scoop shop. Those were really fun because like you said, like we hadn't, uh, well, kind of like you said, like we were just like messing around with the product and not doing it perfectly and just trying to like figure out like, what should it look like? What should it be? And how sure. should it be packaged? Um, and we met a lot of really cool people through that. So and then we ended up opening the first shop with the advice of those people. Got it. So, um, so you have initial product, you're doing trade shows and doing little booths here and there. When did you know that, Hey, I think we have something here that people like. We had a really cool moment actually where that happens. It was when I, it was right before I quit my job. Uh, it was actually what made me quit my job. That's cool. Uh, I quit my job in July of that year. Right before that, we had this pop-up shop. Megan's parents were there and her parents had already thought she was crazy. They were entrepreneurs themselves, but they were like edible right. cookie, cookie dough. dough. Really? <laughs> right. um, and, and they're like old school, small business owners. They, at the time, we're just like, I don't think sold on the idea. And right. they're also worried about their like 23-year-old daughter doing something crazy. Um, so they came to this <laughs> pop-up shop with us and helped us. The 23, helped us set up. Let's, let's be clear. The daughter who went off to be a, a music star, went to Belmont, <laughs> went, moved to Nashville, you know, was a songwriter or whatever. And that didn't happen. And then now, wait, you're going to take this cookie dough? And like, what? And you know <laughs> I mean, your parents, yeah. probably, the parents probably a little concerned, but I mean, now look, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Now, now they're totally sold on it. Right, um, of course. But yeah, so they, they were there. I was there. We we're all going to help set up this pop-up and we had a line of people buying our product. So it was like the spring centennial spring bash in Nashville. <laughs> okay. Uh, I remember the day perfectly. It's just a really cool market in Centennial Park happens every spring. It's either April or May. And we just had a line of people buying our product that found us on Instagram uh, we, oh, Megan launched cool. the company in March. Okay. So it was like this crazy moment of like, we've sold 300 jars of cookie dough or something crazy in like two hours. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> like, cow. doesn't make any sense. The only thing that stopped the line from coming was a thunderstorm that shut the festival that shut down. the thing down. Like, uh, um, wow. It was wild. It was like, I cannot forget the day. And I, that is what sold me. And was, was it, like, this, this is, is pap- this is everything in the paper cup and whatnot, right? Is yeah. Everything you, in wow. the paper cup. Wow. Um, and 
it was crazy to see that many people buy this product, this random, weird, unlabeled product from these right. people who had no idea what they were doing. But we made a really, really good product. And from that day on, it was like, how do we keep making products that taste this good? That's so cool. Um, I love it. So that's, then, that's what it's about. Okay. So then how did you... Okay. So that that's awesome. That was kind of a turning point. Um, what about getting it out beyond those initial spots? Were you looking at stores or direct to consumer or like what was your thinking as you were so, progressing the product? Yeah, we were going to build a chain of dessert shops. That was the initial thought process. Um, I don't know why, but that was, based that was on where cookie dough. Went. Yeah. Based oh on God. cookie dough. Okay. Um, and so I mean, we actually did that. Okay. Good. Um, and from, then from that year. So October of 2017, we opened the first one. We had a crazy line. We had like famous people come to the grand opening. Oh my god! Not no because way. we asked them to, but because we're in Nashville and it yeah, just that's kind it of happened organically. It was crazy. We had um, Kelsey Ballerini. Like I checked oh. her out. Like bought the she bought cookie dough. It was crazy. It didn't make any sense. <laughs> um, it was like a dream. a dream. And then we kept opening stores because we were like, well, let's just open stores. And we did really well at first. Um, our corporate store is a lot better than the franchised stores. So we started franchising. Oh my gosh. Um, wait, wait, how did you, wait, you opened a store. I mean, did you guys hadn't run a store before we had you. And then, then now you're franchising. Like, I, I mean, how did all that, yeah, we were just, like two or three years it, now. It all, it all happened um, very fast. And it happened, I think, because we just didn't, we weren't afraid of failure. Got it. So as you know, 24, 23 year olds, like we were just like, let's, let's open go. this first store. It go. killed it. Yeah. <laughs> Open the second store. It killed it. We were like, let's go and let's sell franchises. We sold some, we opened a few more stores, get to the end of 2019. And that's when we really had a, a weird moment where we were like, you know, the stores aren't doing so well. Um, the original store is killing it still. And then like the other stores were slowly like each store incrementally that you opened wasn't doing as well as the other ones. Got it. We had a lot of bad advice from a lot of people, which I think is why we're okay, so cautious so now. Share a little advice. bit about that. Like talk about what, what advice did you get that wasn't helpful versus so advice that was helpful? We hired a sales firm to help sell our franchises and they were obsessed with the idea of like us just like opening stores. Um, obviously, because they were selling franchises for us. But it was like, let's not really screen the first franchisees for like whether or not they're good entrepreneurs, but let's just sell them a franchise and we know it will succeed because it's no baked. What, what could go wrong? And what could there go wrong? are other, there are <laughs> other situations like that where it was like, we should open the store and it would be like a real estate agent that was like, you need to lease the space. This is the best space ever. And we were like, well, we need to just open more stores because it gets more traction and more traction attracts investors and momentum and customers. And that's not necessarily the right way to look at it. Um, right, of I think we should have been asking ourselves, like, what are we really good at? Which eventually into 2019, we realized we're really good at making a great product. We're not franchisors at all. Right. Um, I don't claim to be like an expert franchisor. I think that's a difficult industry. And I think no also being a no restaurateur, doubt. which is similar to what we were doing as dessert shop owners, um, which we still do. It takes a lot of focus. And so yeah. like our best stores are in Nashville. Those stores kill it to this day. Um, they provide a really great experience to our customers. And it takes a lot of focus and effort almost as much to make less money. It takes as much effort as our direct-to-consumer business. Sure. Um, I'm not surprised. Because you're building this really cool experience for your customers. And you're trying to hire the right employees and, and train them the right way and motivate them and create a cool culture. And there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And you got to really have a love for it. And I think it's great for the brand. But it wasn't the path to scale. And we were using it to scale, which to this day, I would warn anyone against. I've seen some people do it recently that 
Um, I'm not necessarily familiar with their companies and I'm not, you know, the guy that's like telling them what to do or not, but I am always very, very cautious of a retail brand that's scaling out by like opening more retail stores as fast as right. fire. <laughs> yeah. Because there's just no, there's no proof yet that it's going to work. And sure. I know that that's the same thing with every, like, you know, obviously it's the same thing with every business, but yeah, when no you doubt. do it in an industry where it's like 10 year contracts, right. You know, 10, 10 year real estate contract, 10 year franchisee contracts, a lot of like long-term stuff all thrown on top of like, you can't pivot. Sure. You can't pivot from a contract and you can't pivot out of a retail lease. It's very Trust ch- me, challenging tried. and you're locked in. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, okay, here's yeah. my question. So you got a great product and everyone's loving it. Why not go to stores? Why not try to get into you know, some of the retail chains where you can get that volume and add direct to consumer? Like I I, I mean yeah. it versus open your own shop. Do you know what I mean? Like what how did you think about that? At the time we were thinking about it through margin. So okay, we were it. able to charge a lot more for the product. Of course, shop when, you, environment when you own the route to market, the, that's right. Yeah. And because <laughs> of the experience. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when that, that breaks down actually, uh, and this is an interesting thing, and I think more entrepreneurs should consider it. If you're selling the product direct to consumer like that, not online, because online really slims yeah, your Yeah, and you got to pay for shipping. Yep. Um, yeah, you got to pay for shipping. Thank you, Amazon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the... The, the market where it's you own your own retail shop or you own your own restaurant, if you're doing really crazy volumes, which we were in the beginning and we still do at some of our stores, your margins for your profit margins are gigantic um, because it's mostly based on fixed costs. Um, you pay one retail lease, whether or not you sell one cup of cookie dough or like a thousand. Sure. And so it's very attractive to a... I don't know what the right word is for it. I guess like an inexperienced founder, if you, if you're not really familiar with like what your product is for us, our product is, it is dessert. So we were a little bit too confident about how much volume we'd be pushing out in certain locations. And I think what we should have been looking at was not like, how do you push volume and make money as fast as possible, but how do you get the brand out there in the most efficient way possible with the lowest risk to your company? So to your point, like now what we're doing is trying to get into retail stores. Um, when we rebuilt our business right before COVID and right during it, ironically, to be an online company and go direct to consumer, 66% of our sales in 2020 came from online customers. Right. Um, that was a really cool turning point because it was like we leaned out the company. Uh, we boosted our sales. Our sales were up 60 seven percent in 2020 uh over 2019 and we blew up our e-com sales like they went because we were running a small website they went up like 1500 percent. we're selling like over a million dollars of video a year online and it was like this crazy moment of like well we should have been doing this the whole time but hindsight's 2020 sure if i wow. had known prior and i think a lot of other people that do edible video um just to throw out there at the industry would have known prior, like the best way to market, we would have all done it. And I've seen a lot of other brands that are similar to us founded around the same time. Uh, do the same, go through the same nonsense, <laughs> like, like trying to figure out how was the best way to get my product to market. And all of us kind of like fumbling around it. Like, what is the best way? I'm not sure. Um, and it's hard with a new product. It's a new product that even when you go to the grocery store now and something that we're currently trying to do, get into stores sure. to explain to the buyer, like here's the the value proposition and here's why it's different and new 
is cool, but then they also have to deal with like it's different and new. That's so true. Am I sure no that people are going to come and buy it? That's true. Um, we'll test some stores then. They can t- they can run a test. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's currently what we're we're actually doing. We're doing that in in a few different retail stores, um, and we're also partnering with a really cool company called Cloud Retail uh, hmm. starting next week okay. in Chicago to be on DoorDash, Grubhub, and Uber Eats um, for you know immediate delivery. And we're going to be rolling that out nationwide uh, as they expand their presence. Um, and that's been a really cool opportunity just because, you know, at the end of the day, we want to get our product to consumers as fast as possible. And we want to make it as easy for them as possible to get it and give them the best experience they can have. Sure. And and that's been our like number one goal. You mentioned last year. You mentioned that you had to move to a commercial kitchen and whatnot, um, or not commercial kitchen, uh, more a, a broader um, partner to to create more product. What did that look like? How did you guys have to make that decision? So that was, it was interesting. That's what happened in 2020. So we, we pivoted from like all our stores closed on March 16th. Uh, mind you, like Megan was like 38 weeks pregnant or something like that. <laughs> like it. when, when we closed the stores, like it was just a month, it was a nightmare month, but also like a really big blessing. Um, so we closed all the stores March 16th because of, you know, obviously the pandemic and right. we were like, what are we going to do? And right. we were like, well, <laughs> we're just going to try to bump the online store sales right now and survive. And we had a lot of really great advice from some partners in Nashville on like online ads. Uh, and we had a cool influencer base that it, we'd already built. And we just used those and our sales exploded, I think in part to like, you know, the lockdown and all of that stuff, all at the same time, the right time. And when our sales exploded, it was like, yes, we're going to stay in business. We're not, we're not done. And at the same time, we had to ask ourselves, how do you pack a hundred or 150 orders of cookie dough a day? And how do you, how do you make that many jars? Right. Uh, Cause that's not something you're doing at the time. And well, so we, took, we went into one of our shutdown stores which it actually, it got shut down because of the tornado that hit Nashville earlier that month. The tornado was like in its parking lot. Um, so March was a weird, March 2020 is the strangest month in my entire life. Um, I we think for a lot of people store. probably, <laughs> they could say yeah. the same. <laughs> we went to that store that got shut down by the tornado, used it as our new fulfillment and production center, and just started like, we took all our employees that had been working for us and we are like, all right guys, we're going to manufacture cookie dough. <laughs> and that was like a really nice. weird learning experience. I was bringing in equipment people being like, you know, how do we automate this? They're like, you're working out of a retail store. This is strange. And I was like, it is strange. It's 2020. Everything's strange. And, um, we just pivoted and in the most entrepreneurial way I've ever done it, which was just like no money, no time, no idea what we were doing. We were just figuring out problems. Like as the days went on, like, how do we ship more orders? Like, how do we set up the fulfillment line to be more efficient? Um, how do we make flavors faster? Uh, like, how do we like structure our production line to like produce more cookie dough at a time uh, without like changing over? Uh, like things that I'd never thought about before. Wow! And we went back to Citizen Kitchen. Ironically, uh, did a deal with them where we took over part of the kitchen and just turned it into a production line. So we moved out of the retail store like midsummer, moved in there. So now we're in like an actual facility. Um, we bought a VMAG, which is something I didn't know that what that was before. But <laughs> nice. Puts cookie dough into a jar, right? Um, a VMAG. <laughs> so yes. that was fun because before that we were hand scooping jars. We hand scooped in 
August or July of 2020, and I can't remember which one it was. It was like we hand scooped like 21,000 jars. Oh my gosh! <laughs> this is this for silly. those listening. This is like startup, right? I mean, this is how you get you get by until you can get production. <laughs> yeah, oh we were like waiting God. on the piece of equipment. Like, 21,000. It was it was nonsense, and then oh my um, gosh, we got to this point where we were we had the equipment, we were making it in house, and we realized if we get a big account because that's when our minds started to shift to like wholesale and also scaling up our online presence. But like, you know, if we wholesale this and we get a retail partner, what happens? And I had, I'd gotten a phone call from someone who we actually distribute with now. Uh, they're a pizza chain in Wisconsin, um, Topper's Pizza. And we're doing a t- store test with them actually now. But at the time they were trying to find an edible cookie dough brands to stock in their pizza shops. And I thought that was cool. That's very cool. And they floated the idea of, could you guys produce 10,000 euros a month for us? And I was like, you know, I'm yes. not sure. <laughs> I think so. There is a way. Yes. And those conversations are what started getting me thinking, like, we need to find someone who can do this because we don't know what we're doing and we can figure it out, but it's going to be real expensive. The mistakes were starting to be like costly mistakes where like, you know, you order the wrong jar or the wrong piece of equipment. And you're talking about like, tens of thousands of dollars out the window um, or like the production line has to go down because you have to reformat it or you need a new piece of equipment on it to like speed it up. And like, then you're losing an entire day of production to before they're behind. You're like, we're, we're drowning uh, right. and we need to find a lifeboat. And we went to a lot of manufacturers and that's when we started to experience the problem that I think a lot of co-founders experienced, which was uh, we want to change your recipe. Right. We want to change your products and we wanted to make it different so it's easier to produce. And we were very tempted for a while because of the the pain. I mean, I was going in, I was working like 60 hours a week producing cookie dough. <laughs> I wanted to make it stop. Right. And, um, Dude, this is part of building a brand. A, Come on. Yeah, exactly. So I should have been, I should have been pumped. <laughs> I was pumped. But uh, it was starting to get ridiculous. And right. like in December, it got really, really ridiculous where like there were days where it was just me and one other person because people wanted to go home from the holidays and can't right. find employees. Right. And there was one specific day I packed like 800 pounds of cookie dough by myself. Oh like, my God. I was like, this has got to stop. Like I made all of it, put it in, inside the VMAG. The VMAG is a giant hopper. So making it, putting it in the VMAG, it takes me a few hours. And then I'm just sitting there by myself pulling jars out of a case and like hitting the foot pedal and like the VMAG fills the jar and I then put the lid on it and slide it down, <laughs> fill up the table with the jars and then put them in cases. And I'm like, what am I doing? Wow. Uh, and oh, I had to put the labels on them too. So it's like, then I'm putting labels oh, on yeah. these jars all by myself. And um, that's when I realized I was like, yeah, this is bad. Um, and also like, you know, we have to do it quickly. Like it has to be really quickly and in small batches because we weren't in a refrigerated room. Yeah. So, because we're sharing the kitchen with other people. So I was like, either we're going to have to like buy our own production facility or like lease it and then build it out. Or we're going to have to find a manufacturer. And I'd talked to people already. I'd been very, you know, I'd been disappointed with what I'd found. And then these guys reached out to me from Ohio, this, this kid on LinkedIn. And he was like, <laughs> you know, we manufacture food. You know, I think we could manufacture your product. We do like protein balls and stuff. And I was like, that's cool. Um, and he sends me this video and it's of like a, a greenhouse and a farm. And I'm like, that's not food. I don't know what you guys are doing. Right. I don't know what this is, but <laughs> it's not- probably not going to work. And that conversation ended up turning into what worked, which is very strange. But they, 
actually are a food manufacturer. They didn't have a video of their manufacturing facility. And Matthew, who's the guy that reached out to me, um, his brother is, is who started it as kind of like a hydroponic farm. And then they turned into a, a food manufacturing plant because they had all the equipment to package up the greens that they were making. Sure. And it, it turned into a really cool operation. And they ended up being willing to just be like, yeah, we'll do your recipe. We'll do your product. And like, we'll just figure it out with you. <laughs> and I was like, are you wow. serious? Wow. And uh, they were, I was like, is there a production minimum? And they were like, we believe in your brands. Uh, we think it's going to like pay off. Wow. And I was like, cool, man. That's awesome. And ever since then, and yeah. also with a lot of other partners, you know, this is the end of 2020, beginning of this year. But a lot of other partners, as we go into retail and as we look for food brokers and stuff like that, I'm looking for people like them. Right. Uh, because they're out there. They're not easy to find. Sure. And I look for those people with employees to with. too. We've had the best success we've had in the last year and a half with employee retention, finding the right partners. It took a long time to get here because we definitely struggled with a lot of that stuff sure. for years. And, you know, like as a young founder, you know, I've never managed anyone before. Right. I've never motivated yeah, You're people. having to learn on the fly, you know? Yeah. And I feel like this year we finally learned how to run our business That's really the cool. way we want to. And, but that that was actually the moment for us where we were like, "This is the type of partner we need to look for." We right. look for people who are willing to like meet us in the middle. Yep. Because we definitely did some stuff, you know, to help them out as well. But like, you know, they were willing to do things that were important to us because what was important to us was keeping our product the same. Right. Um, and figuring out a way to make it that made sense. When other Love people it. would say like, "Well, you need to like lower the water activity, or you need to do this or that to fit their plant." Sure. So that was difficult to deal with. And, you know, when you finally found someone who got like, okay, this is what's important to them. We'll do that. Can you guys like, you know, do these things for us. And you're like, sure. Sure. Cool. Well, I love that. So, um, so here you are, um, coming out of pandemic, things are opening up, lots of things moving. What, what are the keys to success the next six to 12 months? Next six to 12 months, we need to land some really great retail partners. Got it. Um, I have customers desperate for our product. And they are in a specific region. I have a heat map of it. Um, <laughs> wow. It's like Ohio, <laughs> Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, Florida. If someone is a retailer and they're hearing this. And they're listening. I have a, they lot, want. Of, I have a lot of customers that want to buy product there. Um, specifically, they've asked for certain retailers. We partnered with a really cool company called WeStock um, that helps gather that data. And they're uh, actually working on a really cool program. I, I love their company they're doing crowd stocking. So oh, they have partners in New York and Denver, like partner retailers, where if enough requests come in in New York or Denver for those products, those retailers have cool end caps Got where it. they stock those products at. Hmm. And That's I cool. think that is the coolest thing in the world. Uh, it's not working for me right now because we're, I mean, we, we actually have a lot of customers in New York, but not, not that many. And um, yeah, I just, I think like being able to gather data like that and then show it to buyers is key. And then, finding the right retail partner who understands like we're going to support them with, you know, the 300,000 plus customers we've had, uh, the over hundred thousand customers we've served in the last 12 months sure. across our scoop shops and our online store. And the fact that like, you're not getting an unproven product, you're getting something that, you know, <laughs> right. we've sold like, you I know. think over $5 million of wow. cookie dough since wow. we started. Oh, Dude, that's amazing. That's great. Yeah. But it just shows that like people want to buy it. I mean, money, Sales, I think the only thing they really represent is like how much do people really want your product? Yeah, that's like, fair. Well, it's, it shows demand though. Want to buy it. it shows yeah. demand. And that's, that's, that's what's important for us in the next six to 12 months. It's cool. like continuing to show demand and finding a retail partner that wants to let us 
get our customers there Got it. And, and make sure that that relationship is, is killing it because that's, what's going to take our brand to the next level. We have to find a partner who's going to succeed as much as we are. Well, you know, what? I think you will. I, I feel very confident in that. Um, I, I always love to ask our guests um, before we close, you know, one or two biggest lessons learned, you know, either mistakes or things that weren't mistakes that were just incredible. But, you know, think about the last couple of years, you know, as an entrepreneur, what, what would be one or two things you'd share with our listening audience? I have two things. The first, and they're both related actually to our pivot and actually to the beginning of our company because we did them at those times. Do not be afraid to just start and try something. Um, I think in the words of Nike, just do it makes a lot of sense with entrepreneurship. Um, and that is the fastest way to find out if something's going to work. You know, you don't need to go buy like a hundred thousand units of something from a manufacturer and try to sell them and right. see if it's going to work. Right. Just make it in your kitchen in your house and see if people actually want to buy it at like a farmer's market. That is a really cool way with a consumer product to find out if it's working. If it's software, you know, like build like bare bones software, go find one client and see if it's working for them. Um, the other piece of advice for me is don't be afraid to just kill something mm, in your business. Love it. So we killed scoop shops okay. last year and consuming this year. We're killing them. The ones that weren't working and weren't like running well, we're killing them. We're taking that part of our business away. Um, that is a, not necessarily always best financial decision, but like long-term, I think it's the best decision for the company's focus. So if a scoop shop's barely making money or losing money, or say it made like, you know, a couple thousand dollars last year and barely broke even, that's not worth all the time and energy time and effort. Into it. Right. Yeah. So don't be afraid to pivot away from those things because they'll bog you down. Yeah. Right. When you're a startup, you only have so much bandwidth and so many people. It's cool if you have extra co-founders. Me and Megan have a, each other. We have a team, sure. but that's the only free payroll we got. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, the only and we're free not even, payroll. <laughs> yeah, and we're not even completely free because we have to at least right. like, eat and oh, pay rent. God. So right. it's like, you know, you have to really think about the fact that, like, when you kill kill off a part of your business that's just dragging you down, you're freeing up bandwidth to do something new. And maybe that new thing doesn't seem like it'll work immediately but you should at least be willing to try it versus the thing that currently is clearly not working. And you'll probably grind away at trying to make it work. If you're the type of entrepreneur you are like me, sure. where you just bang your head into a wall, trying to like break <laughs> through the brick wall. Yeah. Don't do that. Just say, Hey, I'm going to try something new because there's no harm in trying something new. Right. That's such great advice. Hey, share with our audience, man. I love your stories, by the way, uh, share with our audience where they can find you, how they can buy your product, um, connect with you, et cetera. Yeah. So you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at no baked. Um, you can buy our product, no Um, if you're in the Chicago area or a few other major cities like LA, Denver, New York, you're going to be able to find us on Grubhub, Uber Eats and DoorDash in the next few weeks. Uh, so check us out and, uh, yeah. Follow awesome. along on our journey. I, hope <laughs> I love you guys it. Try I think product. Dude, I'm so excited for you. Um, I we, You must come back on with Megan um, and give us an update in the next couple months, year or so. Um, we'd sure. love to have you back on. It's been so great hearing about your business. And I mean, I mean, the story you have that you, you know, you're, you're living out is one that I think many other entrepreneurs can look to and, and learn from. So, man, uh, Jimmy, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Justin. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. 
You can download additional ContenderCast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at ContenderCast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.